You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice squeaking words that those who hear it begin for no further words to be spoken to them because they could not bear what the was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn who was, whose name was written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all spirits, to this, of all spirits of the righteousness made perfect, to Jesus, the meditator of the new covenant, who sprinkled blood of that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I don't know. All right. Great to be with you this morning. I um. I go into high schools on Thursdays, and one of the things that I love about um, this opportunity to go in is, is the opportunity to speak and start conversations with young people about God. And I'm continually amazed at how so, like a lot of young people today are actually pretty open to talking about God. They're not religious in any way, but they're open to spirituality. And, and um, I, you know, I've caught up with some young people from youth over the last few weeks, and talking to people in the high school. And the one question that has come up again and again, has come up the most by far, is the question, how can I know that God is real? Like, I know all the stories. I know that about Jesus and God and all that stuff. But how can I know that it's real? Um, and I actually, I really appreciate the authentic, vulnerable honesty of people in this generation to go, you know, I'm asking the question. Whereas I think... Once, by and large, as a trend, um, people would probably uh, accept what was taught to them. It was just, if this was taught, it was a fact, you could prove it. Um, This is truth, therefore I'm going to believe it. Now, millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever it's called, um, as a generation we go, actually we're going to question things and I'm only going to believe it when I have an encounter. When I, believe, when I experience something, what I believe is, is, is going to be based on my experience. Some people think that's a bad thing. I actually think that's a great thing because we can say, well, guys, come have an experience of Jesus. And yeah. Now, I was talking with uh, a student in the high school a few weeks ago and um, she was saying, I-, I was saying that I'm a Christian and I believe in Christianity. And she, she said, I don't know about that, but... I, I just believe in questioning everything. And I actually love that because there's this sense where the Bible says, Jesus says, seek and you'll find. Jeremiah 29, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart, Jesus said, I, or God said, I will be found by you. And so if we seek God, we have this, like, this is a good thing in this generation to be open to, to just looking at the questions and looking at the meaning and one experience of God can change everything. So the big question, how can I know if God is real? A different student this week in year seven in our scripture class um, came up to Garen and myself and we were talking about um, the, the resurrection. Can I know if the resurrection is true and the evidence for the resurrection? And um, 
we looked at all the historical facts and things like that. And the student cut straight through all of that and said, hang on a second, have you ever heard from God? And Garen and I responded, yes, absolutely. Because there have been some moments, not very many, but there's been a few moments when I've gone, I can't fully explain this. I can't, I can't get my head around it, but something has happened that's changed my heart. I've heard from God or I've experienced God and, and there's a removal of all alternatives. It just, I, I can't necessarily put it all in words, but I just know that I know that I know. And um, when we said that, what was really cool was that in spite of all the reasoning and all the proof and all the, the intellectual arguments, which are good, but in spite of all those things which had pretty much bounced off this year seven student, when we shared an experience, he went, whoa, this is real. And I love that because when we're looking at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews speaks directly to this question. And uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is probably uh, a talk, a, a, like one of the earliest sermons, a re- like a written down sermon or a talk that was given to a bunch of Jewish believers, people who had trusted Jesus and they have gone, I've had this experience, but now as life has thrown things at them, as, as things get difficult, as challenges come, they've gone, hang on a second, this is getting tough. How can I know that this is real? How can I know that following God is worth it, that Jesus is trustworthy? How can I know that this whole faith thing is worth it? And in response, Hebrews says, yes, Jesus is trustworthy. He's worth it. And, and Hebrews describes, it goes on in the passage that Emma read, he describes these encounters with God that are so real, that are so tangible, that you just know that you know that you know. It's these experiences, and it responds to that question, how can I know that God is real? I don't know where you're coming from this morning. Maybe you've always grown up in church. Maybe this whole church thing and God thing is new to you, and um, if you're asking that question, how can I know that God is real? I pray that this message would help you. Um, when we look at the passage, we see it kind of fits into two particular sections, and I think we've got three points here. Let me write them up on my board. At first, there is a, um, at first, there is a terrifying encounter. Then there is an exhilarating encounter. And then it demands our response. And first, a terrifying encounter. Hebrews says, You haven't come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, to gloom, to storm. And it goes on. And what's Hebrews talking about here? He's talking about Mount Sinai. And in order to to get the picture of this, we kind of need to understand the way that the Bible fits together because the Bible sees all of history, all of existence in in one big story. And if we were to draw this as a timeline, it starts before there was anything, God exists, and then God created heaven and earth. It wasn't a chance. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a coincidence. No, it, it it was God created everything. And I think deep down... Deep down, we actually know this when we see the beauty and the vastness of it all, or we, we hear a song that sets our heart ablaze, or we have a friendship or a relationship that, that just there's something, and we go, there has to be more than this. There has to be meaning. There has to be purpose. And there is. 
God creates. He creates us with purpose and meaning and value and dignity. And in this moment, when God, when humans appear on the scene, humans aren't having an encounter with God. No, they're in relationship to God. God is walking with them. He's talking with them. We, deep down at our very core level, humans are made for relationship with God. And in fact, all of creation is. In the way the Bible sees things, this, this whole universe, this whole reality is this ocean of joy. It's, 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 we're all made for this dance, this, this, um, this party, this revelry of relationship with God where creation is delighting in the creator and the creator is delighting in the creation. It's this dance, as C.S. Lewis calls it. And, and this is what we were made for. This is where our heart belongs. But the problem is that from the very beginning, humans have believed this lie that... If we lose control, we won't be happy. If we were, lo- were to lose control to God, thank you. <laughs> I'm probably treading on everything. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, if we were to lose control to do things the way God wanted them instead of the way we think it's supposed to work, if we were to lose control, we won't be happy. And as a result, we shut ourselves into a little miserable existence where we shut out joy, we shut out God, and we shut out the very thing that we were made to be. And so we have the fall as it's called. And ever since that point, the promise was the, of the Bible right from the very beginning was that one day God was going to set things right, that, that the shadows of this world cannot keep that joy out forever, that, that, that one day it will be, be back to the way that we're supposed to be, back to the place where our deepest desires are satisfied. And so we're cut off from a relationship with God, but we need this relationship with God And so ever since this point in history, humans have been looking for ways to get back into the presence of God, ways to get back into relationship. This is basically all of religion. Do this, and then God will accept you. You can know God. Do this, and God will be with you. And there's these glimpses in history, these little moments along the way where God shows up, where God draws near. One of these is Mount Sinai. And it's this moment where the Israelites, this this people that God had chosen, have been called out to actually go, God is inviting them to come back to that that way that we're supposed to live, to back into that joy, back into that relationship with God. And as they find themselves there, God has done all these miracles, but they're still going, how can I know if God is real? They've just seen the, the... the, the dividing of the sea. They've seen these miracles, but they're still asking this question. And um, so God says, I'll show you. I'll show you. And they come to this mountain and God shows up and they hear the voice of God. But when they hear this voice, do they go, oh, wow, the voice of God. How wonderful. No, they go, stop it. Stop it. Take it away. It terrifies me. We read in this passage, Moses says, I'm trembling with fear when he encounters the presence of God. And it's, this, is, this actually shows up again and again in the Bible. When people have an experience of God, they encounter God, they're terrified. Job, in the book of Job, Job is having this conversation with his friends. And most of the book, Job is saying, I'm pretty good. I, I've, I'm right with God. I'm not too bad. But then he God shows up and he finds himself in the presence of God. And what does he say? He says, I despise myself. Um, 
uh, Peter has, has this experience of the glory of Jesus. And, and what does he say? He says, get away from me, Lord. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Isaiah has this revelation of the glory. He sees God. And, and what does he say? He says, woe to me, for I'm undone. We hear people, I hear these people saying, I want to know if God is real. I want to encounter God, but I wonder if we really do. I wonder if we actually know what we're asking. Because if we do, it's going to threaten our little worlds. Because when we find ourselves in the presence of a God who, who created all of heaven and earth, who, who, who with his very words and his breath, worlds come into existence, this God whose glory is, this is not a God who shows love, but a God who is love. This is not a God who just is good, shows goodness, but who is goodness. This is a God whose glory, just is, it's, in Hebrews it says, this, our God is a consuming fire. And when we hear that, it's not because God is bad or because God is, um, it's not just raw brute strength. It's that when we find ourselves in the presence of God, when Isaiah said, I'm undone, what he was saying is when we find ourselves in the presence of God, all of the little things we build up to say that we're good enough, to say, I'm, I'm not so bad. You know, like I, I try my best. I'm not as bad as that person, but I'm, I'm actually pretty good. We build up these little walls and it all unravels. And it's terrifying. And that brings us to point two. Because what does Hebrews say? Does it say you've come to Mount Sinai? No, it doesn't. It says you have not come to Mount Sinai. It says, no, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Earlier this year, I was standing on Mount Zion. It's a, a hill in Jerusalem. And it's nothing particularly special as a hill, but it's, it's this, this point in it. The name was something that God used for his people. It was a name that was to describe um, the people of God, the chosen people of God. And Hebrew rabbis will tell you that the word Zion literally means a marking, a, a, a sign, a seal, a, an indication. It's like what you do when you, you have some cattle and you brand them to say that it's yours, or you have a horse and you brand it. Because when a physical object has a sign, a marking, a seal, a brand, an indication, should it be lost... When, it, when it's lost, the sign enables it to be returned to its maker, to its owner. And the Bible says we have this marking deep within our souls, this echo of eternity, where, where the, we have this longing that we can't quite satisfy. What for? It says you've come to Mount Sion, to the city of the living God, to thousands upon thousands of, of angels in joyful assembly. And the word Joyful assembly is actually a really unusual word because it literally means wild party. It's, it's this, this revelry, this wild party. Remember I said before, this ocean of joy. We don't get out very much, do we? We have our little worlds, but, but all of creation, all of the universe, everything beyond human existence is in this ocean of joy. We, we shut ourselves up in our little world, but, but creation is glorifying the Creator and, and delighting in the Creator. And this is what we were made for. The thing that we've been longing for our whole life, the thing that we've been looking for in every relationship, in every achievement, in every experience, in every desire, all of that 
is looking for the it, but you'll never find the it there because that's not it. The it is an experience or an encounter with God. But hang on a minute. As we look at our response, we need an encounter with God, but I just said when you find yourself in an encounter of God, it burns you up. It, it, it unravels you. So we've got this tension. We need this. We're made for this. This is where our desires, our deepest desires and longings lie. But we can't, but it'll burn us. It'll, it'll, it'll unravel us because it shows us who we really are. We're not, we're not living up to our own standards, let alone God's. We, we, we haven't tried our best. We don't measure up. And so we have this tension. What do we do? And as it shows up our flawedness, as this presence of God, this experience of God shows up our flawedness, some of you might be saying, hang on a minute. I'm not that messed up. I get this quite a bit in the high school going, what do you mean I'm, not me- like, I'm messed up? What is this? I'm, I'm not perfect, but I try my best. And it comes out in different ways. Sometimes it's like, well, I'm not perfect, but, but I'm open-minded. I'm tolerant of people. What more can you want? Or I'm not perfect, but look at my achievements. Look at what I've done. Look at the, the causes that I've supported. Or if, it, if someone's a moral person, I'm not perfect, but look at, at the, the standard of life that I've lived. I've, I've, I've lived a very moral life. I've looked after my family. I've, I'm not perfect, but there's other people that are worse than me, so I've, I've tried my best. No, you haven't. Oh, really? I can only speak personally, but if I look at the most basic ethical principle, just take the golden rule, which basically shows up in most religions. Do to others how you want them to treat you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. If I look at that, there is not a day in my life where I treat people with the same um, urgency to try and meet their needs as I want them to meet mine. Not even close. There's not a day when I'm trying to, to, to please others, to, to listen to others, to understand others to the same degree that I'm trying to be understood. None of us are. We don't come close. We're all moral failures. And when we find ourselves in the presence of God, it, it, it shows it up and we can't escape that. What are we going to do? Well, when we keep reading, we find verse 23. It says, You've come to this city where God is judge." with judgments that make us just. And you've come to Jesus, who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, became a proclamation of grace. The murder of Jesus, the death of Jesus on a cross, became a proclamation of grace. While we have these little moments where people encounter God, suddenly in history appears Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And this person was not a moral failure. They didn't treat themselves differently to the way they wanted others to treat them. They didn't, he didn't, he didn't, um, he says, greater love has none than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus doesn't just die for his friend, but he dies for his enemies while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We find this, this radical sacrificial love. When Hebrews says, you've come to the judge, although we are guilty, Jesus is the only judge that will see our guilt and yet will say, take that punishment upon myself. Take that punishment and place it on me. Reverse the situation so that what I deserve goes on you and what you deserve goes on me. And so the one person upon whom 
all of the labels that we desperately want are deserved. The labels of forgiven, chosen, not forsaken, the beloved of God, accepted, free, a child of God, all of those things Jesus deserved. He rightfully had them. He could have, they were his. And yet he said, I'll give them up. He's the only judge that would give the judgment upon himself so that we could be declared not guilty. And when we find that, we find a declaration of grace. It's God's declaration marking our hearts, sealing our hearts, branding our hearts with the declaration that in spite of what we've done, in spite of how good we think we are or the little standards that think we, we're all right or we're, we've tried our best, no, we haven't. And yet in spite of that, God says, no, in spite of that, you are loved and accepted and the beloved of God and free and forgiven and chosen and not forsaken. And now, as we find ourselves in history, looking back to the cross, finding grace, and looking forward to the day when, when the joy will break into the shadows of this life. As we find ourselves there, when we have this question, how can I know if God is real? Well, ask him, and he'll show you. Whether it's now or whether it's then, sooner or later, we're all going to be face-to-face and in an encounter with God. And now, if you seek him and really want to encounter him, He'll show you. And when you read the, read the story of Jesus, find yourself in his story. See this man and, and encounter him. Try and see if there's any other person in your life, in yourself, in others that could ever compare to that. Have an encounter with Jesus. Ask him. And when you read the Bible, you'll find that God is speaking to you. Um, at, at youth group on Friday, Melvin gave this awesome um, testimony about how uh, God had spoken to him through the Bible and just into his situation. Ask him. He'll show you. But sooner or later, we're all going to find ourselves in the presence of God. And when you're asking that question, how do I know if God is real? Make sure you have something so unshakable something that cannot be unraveled, something that will not fall apart. You need to have an identity that is based on the fact that I am the beloved of God, not based on my performance because my own goodness and my own trying heart is going to unravel. And yet if I enter the presence of God with the declaration of Jesus that I am accepted and loved and forgiven and the beloved of God, We have an identity that is so unshakable. The declaration of grace that Hebrews speaks about. And when we find ourselves in that presence, we can do what Ephesians says, that in him and through faith in him, we may approach God, have an encounter with God, with freedom and confidence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That in Hebrews, you answer this question, how can I know if God is real? And you point to these encounters. But some of them are terrifying, God. When I go in my own identity, in my own strength, I realize that it's it's all going to fall apart. I'm not good enough. But Lord, we thank you that what you did at the cross answers that deepest desire. It gives us an, a label, an identity that will not change, that is so unshakable that I can have an identity that is secure, that I am the beloved of God. And God, when I find that, I find that there is nothing else that could be shaken. Nothing else that, that could be as unshakable as this. God, I, 
I pray that when we look for these encounters, Lord, that we would find a revelation of you and that with the confidence of of who we are in Jesus, we would be able to stand. In Jesus' name.